Welcome to the Move Daily Health Podcast, where we share information to empower you to be your own health hero. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Move Daily Health Podcast. I'm Dane Wallace here with Freya Spence. And today on the podcast, we have Franz Snydman, a former collegiate sprinter and now the owner of FS Athletics in La Jolla, California. Franz has been a personal trainer and coach for over 23 years. Author and editor of several books, Franz also co-developed the Primal Speed System, which is an international movement system being taught across the world. Franz believes in the fundamental importance of educating and coaching his clients in safe, healthy, and holistic athleticism. He lectures internationally, driven to share his knowledge and skill, both theoretically and practically. Franz, welcome. Thank you guys. So nice to have you back in San Diego. Yes, yeah, this, welcome. Is, this is the second time I've met you for you've met Franz a few times. Yeah, I think I first started coming here four years ago. Yeah. Right around this time. Yes. Last time I got a really nasty sunburn and I feel like I'm trending the same way despite best efforts not to. <laughs> this time so um thank you for being on our podcast today thanks for having me and we we have enjoyed so much of so many of our conversations with you every time we're in and so now we want to kind of get those conversations on the air can you tell us a little bit about your background you've been in the industry a really long time and uh we'd like to kind of know what got you into it to begin with sure um, yeah, I don't want to kind of bore you with like my whole life story, but um, I, I've, I've always been a very active kid and was never going to sit at a desk. So I've always been, I didn't really know I was going to become a, a trainer per se, but it was a very natural fit for me. And in college, I studied nutrition at Arizona State. And then after that, uh, I came to San Diego to study exercise from a, uh, a famous corrective exercise guy named Paul Check. Maybe you guys have heard of him, and I was actually, twice. was actually able to work there. So I feel being a very kind of natural uh, athlete my whole life. Not I'm not saying I was a good athlete, but I've always been drawn towards it. It was a natural fit. I was lucky enough to come to San Diego and work with Paul Check, who was my mentor, and that was basically the, the foundation of how I got involved in exercise. And then I saw that. I learned about, I kind of learned the personal training industry backwards. I started more with like a clinical approach, right? Like I started studying like spine anatomy and what a spondylolisthesis is and all these disc injuries. And I was way over my head, but in a way, um, it was such a blessing because it, it forced me, and actually, well, I, I, I give a huge props out to Paul Check because he was definitely like the first mentor that I ever had. He really kind of lit a fire under my butt to study, to buy anatomy books and learn all the stuff I didn't learn in college. And um, it's pretty much been, you know, ever since then, it's just been kind of like a nonstop journey, just like you guys are on, to study and learn and grow. And I can't believe 23 years have passed and I'm still just as passionate about it. So... That's kind of my story. <laughs> That's awesome. And uh, you do have a studio, just so that our audience knows, you do have a studio here in La Jolla, have been running one for well over five years. Uh, actually, I opened it in 2004. Okay. Changed names. Even more. Uh, yeah. Uh, once. Yeah. But yeah, so it's been about, uh, yeah, but, but almost 15 years. I was going to say, none yeah. of us can do math off the hop, apparently. Yeah, that's okay. <laughs> it was your crazy animal flow workout. It was the workout. Busted our brain cells. <laughs> Yeah, we, uh, we just came into the gym and we we're going to record a podcast, but we said, hey, let's do a little bit of movement first, get the brains going. So we introduced Franz here to a little bit of animal flow. And how did you enjoy that, Franz? I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, I'm a sprinter by nature, so I don't 
you know, I'm not like an endurance guy. So the recovery ability for me is, it was, it was definitely blasting me. It was more of a cardio workout, but I think the instruction was amazing. And I think you guys are awesome at it. And uh, I'm eager to learn more. <laughs> yes. And I also am more of the sprinter type. And uh, I hang out with this Freya over here who has... <laughs> changed my motor a little bit I guess you could say <laughs> you've just evolved your motor that's all it is um but what I'd really like to know about is within the context of your studio what sort of populations do you find yourself working more with nowadays yeah that's uh, a good question um I predominantly work with people probably between the ages of like 50 and like 85 so a lot of the clients that I started working with when I first came to La Jolla in like 1999 um, they were in their 40s or 50s, and now a lot of those people are still with me. Now they're 20 years older. I'm 20 years older. So now the 60-year-olds are now hitting their 80s, and the 50-year-olds are now in their 70s. So it's been a very interesting journey and a really good experimentation to see what good training can do and how, uh, how beneficial mm -hmm. strength training and just overall movement training and consistent training in general um, is for people that are aging. And I, we can talk about that later, but it's, it's very cool to see people age and actually get better as they age. And I think that's like, that wasn't, that wasn't necessarily the goal I went into when I opened up the play. I just love training and I knew that it made me feel alive and I was hoping that it would help other people. But I've learned some very interesting things about, um, you know, I think like what really works for the aging population, especially baby boomers. I mean, that's like, I don't know what kind of clients you guys work with, but that's pretty much the people that I work with. And uh, they can do phenomenal, phenomenal things. That's awesome to have people for that much time. And we do work with quite a bit of, of baby boomers as well. And within the, within the population that we're working with, we often work with people who have become very deconditioned. And then we try to help them see the potential of what they can achieve. So one of the common things that we hear with that is someone coming in and saying, oh no, you know, I'm almost 60. There's no way I can do X, Y, Z. That's young for my gym. Oh, right. So there you go. They'd be in great company. In fact, I've seen some crazy athletes every time I've come into this, uh, this space. I especially remember the contrast a few years ago when I came in, I saw one person deadlifting like 300 pounds, a tall woman. And then I see this older person working on, you know, her hinge pattern. So it's pretty awesome just to see yeah, that contrast yeah. and to see that inspiration. So what are some of the key things that you have clients coming in with? What are some of the key things that you have noticed you're addressing now versus maybe what you were addressing back then? And has your filter changed within that time period? Wow, those are awesome questions. I think definitely my filter has changed. Uh, you know, I, I kind of look back to some of the stuff I did earlier and say, ugh, you know, like, well, I, you know, if I would have known different, I wouldn't have done that. However, we grow and we evolve as you talk about. So, you know, I, I, I think what's important to kind of understand is that, you know, as we grow as coaches and as personal trainers, if your filter isn't changing, something's wrong. And you start to attract different type of clients, I have found, as your skill level expands. You can't know it all. You're never going to know it all. But um, the commonalities I see are basically like every single person coming in here, they have objective goals, but they don't really actually know 
what they're kind of trying to do. I think it's our job as coaches to kind of unlock that. I, I'm not saying I'm an expert at it. I've learned how to do that and to actually give the client, one, what they want, two, what they need. And that is kind of the art, I think, that every trainer, every coach brings to this profession. As I said, oh, oh, okay, uh, Missy wants to get in shape. She wants to go to Cancun and fit in a bikini. That's a great goal, an awesome goal. I'm not, I'm, but Missy's got hips that don't work, or she, has, uh, she had three C-sections, and she's got some bigger fish to fry that have never been addressed. So my job as a coach, as a practitioner, is to, is to give them both. And that is, it's, it's, it's kind of a messy ground to be with, but I think you always have to have a lens that kind of encompasses the more emotional, like heartfelt goals, you know, like maybe it's emotional issues, maybe it's love issues, I don't know, but you have to address both. It can be done. I think it takes time and it takes a lot of, it just takes a lot of experimentation and also just need like a lot of trial and error because every client is an experiment of one, right? Like the commonalities and principles, like you guys are really into principles. I, we, we had some great conversations as you guys came in. So when things are principle-based, like principles are universal. They, they, they just apply. But the way that you kind of pepper that into everybody's program, that is an art form. And I don't think it's something you can like manufacture just like from day one. And I think the, the, really the only reason that I've been in business and I've had success is that I think I've cared enough about my clients to say, shit, like there's some stuff I've got to learn. And if I don't know it, I'll refer them out. But the stuff that I do know, I'm going to, A, I'm going to try to give them what they want, and, but I'm going to give them what I know ethically as a coach they need. So it, 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 it's, I don't know if that's kind of a, addressing, but that's, that's where my mind is going. Is there? We couldn't agree more, and I love that you touched on both of those aspects because we were we had a conversation with a colleague a couple weeks ago about how when we're young trainers, we go in with such enthusiasm for helping people and thinking, oh, I've got this great protocol, and I understand this energy system, and I know how to coach these movements, and there's no other way to teach that emotional side or that human side to it other than experience you can't cover that in a certification you can make someone aware that it's there but until they have that person in front of them and understand why okay well this person isn't recovering from that injury meanwhile these other dozen people did that's something that just comes with experience and that's such a challenging piece to develop because it requires a lot of patience and you noted earlier in our conversation failure totally tell us a little bit about the face flops uh yeah i mean i think i think it gets especially in fitness and like all the social media advertising and marketing it's 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 kind of nauseating you know oh you know you see millions of pictures of my client look how awesome they are look how that's great but i i think it's you learn from success but i think you learn more from your failures and I mean, I, I don't have any in particular that like I'm like maybe going to share with you other than like I've made tons of them. Uh, definitely on the business side, I, I've made tremendous failures of getting into the wrong leases and, you know, hiring the wrong coaches. And I mean, I, I've, I've done it. But as far as 
as clientele go, I, I think my biggest failures that I've had are trying to fit every client into the same box, saying, okay, I took this certification, this is what they taught, I'm going to squeeze everybody into here, whether they like it or not, whether they need it or not, and they, I mean, that, that just couldn't be any further from the truth. You know, there, there is such a gray zone with clients. Yeah. And not that um, things need to be ambiguous all the time or like you don't need any kind of direction, but like people do not fit into like a cookie cutter approach. And I, I think that's been my mistake early on in my career, which is probably very common. Yes, and, we, and, we and, understand and, that. And, and, yeah, now I, I would lie to say like if I'm still not probably guilty of that where my mind says, oh, well, I've seen this pattern before. It's got to be this. It's got to be that. So getting my bias out of, you know, trying to assess what's, what's, what's going on with people, I think that's kind of been my biggest, my biggest hurdle is in learning to kind of let the facts be the facts. Um, you know, there is an intuition that each coach has, but it's an intuition. So I, I think you have to use both. You have to, use, you have to stay very firmly planted in what you're seeing and often... Um, you know, the gut's right, sometimes your eye is right, but sometimes you need, you need other ways to kind of verify what you're finding. But at the end of the day, like I, my advice to people, even, even, even non-trainers, like don't be afraid to make a mistake, do the best you can with the knowledge you have. But uh, I mean, it's not, you know, it's like, most things are, are reversible, right? It's not, yeah, it's not like the end of the world, so. Exactly, I mean, all as trainers, we've all made mistakes. And like you said, every client is an N1. It's just everyone's a little bit unique. And over time, you understand that everyone has, maybe they fit a pattern, right? but they have all these individual factors that are affecting how they live their lives and what they're doing and what's going to impact them in the proper way, whether it's you know physical or psycho-emotional or whatever. And I know when I came into the industry as a trainer, my biggest bias was that you couldn't get strong unless you were lifting a barbell. Right. And I think that that's something that is very common on a lot of young trainers, especially in the world I come through, which is strength athletics. Totally. And I think we walked in here and you were like, I don't even need barbells. You know, I think there's a couple sitting in the corner over there, but I mean, this gym is very, you know, there's kettlebells lined up against the wall. It's a lot of open space. And I know that minimalistic training is a big aspect of, of how you help your clients. Can you talk to us a little bit more about that? Yeah, I think, I think I've, I've, I've always naturally gravitated towards methods and techniques that are very effective. I was very fortunate to, you know, like I said earlier, to hook up with Paul Chuck. And then I went from Paul Chuck to Pavel, right? And I started studying under Pavel uh, before his cert. And then he invited me to his cert. So for people who don't know who Pavel is, he basically is like the godfather of the modern kettlebell movement. Very smart man. So I've had very good, very good mentors. But I think as far as like tools and just, it, it just made sense to me that if you can do more with less, the goal is not to do as much work as possible or to use as many tools as possible. The goal is to just like get an adaptation. You don't like, you don't have to use a million. In fact, you don't need to. So to me, it just, it's just, it's like the 80, 20 rule, which is just a universal principle, right? 80%, right, the Pareto principle, but it applies to everything. 80% of the waters running in the rivers in North America run through 20% of the rivers. 80% of the surfaces of the, of the craters in the moon are in 20% of the craters. 20% of the trainers are probably getting 80% of the results. Yes. So, so, so really for me, I kind of... like that one. I, I kind of learned this in more like accidentally just through time and experience that everybody has a 20% 
in terms of movements that are going to unlock them or that are going to work from that's not to say they shouldn't do the other 80 percent but there's going to be probably four to six movements that that person's going to do at any one time that's going to just like open the floodgates towards towards progress and success case in point my beautiful wife lee came to me um six years ago she was a client not that i marry all my clients the first time i've ever done that don't want to throw myself under the bus here <laughs> but she was she was doing typical high rep exercises lots of reps you know lots of like the fat burning stuff that women think if you just you know do lots of reps you'll and even with swings she was doing hundreds and hundreds of reps it was getting nowhere and i said well let's just try the opposite i have a club called the anti-fragile club it's like a barbell like almost like a strongman club where we did very low reps and then we did very low rep power work and that's all we did i invited her to it she joined it and presto she got everything she wanted her body shrunk she got muscular she got her abs because she was focusing on those minimalistic key movements now typically i think for women for most women uh it's going to be like a deadlift or a squat I'm not anti-loading. I love loading women, but I'm I'm anti-loading people if they can't really move that well. But I think the goal is to get them to be able to load. Like I think you have to load people, but you just have to kind of earn the right to load them. We always say that you should be able to control your body through space before yeah. you start adding external load. And I mean, Dane can speak to this quite well in in the sense that his initial visit within the gym space gym environment was when he was at university and you immediately went to load it didn't matter if you really understood how to use your body through space it was just like okay well you've got this with a barbell slaps more weight on and off you go yeah load load fixes everything right no it may <laughs> have created a problem or two within my body yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but that's, I think that's actually a really good take-home for a lot of listeners out there that you should, it's earning the right to load, especially in society right now when everyone's sitting. We're not moving our bodies like we used to. We outsource everything. We buy chopped vegetables now. We've lost so much movement that now our bodies are really stagnating as a general population. And it's just really interesting, especially I always bring things back around to the strongman community because that's what I see so much of. I have a lot of people come to me for coaching and there are a lot of people out there who go from, I've lifted weights for six months, now I wanna compete in strongman. And I always have to have the conversation with them of, okay, Technically, you're not really qualified to put anything overhead based on the screen that I just gave you for your shoulders, and you don't know how to use your hips. So from a safety perspective, this is not a good choice for you. But then I kind of take a step back and I say, well, if you're going to do this anyway, the safest way you can do this is working with me because I'm at least going to give you corrective movements. I'm going to help you through this other stuff. So if you're willing to put in the work to kind of correct these little things, then while you are kind of pushing your body to limits, maybe you shouldn't be, at least you are doing yourself the service of making sure that, you know, you're improving those patterns and you're going, that's going to mitigate some injury. Right. You know, I kind of see the two, it's a double-edged sword. And that's probably like the better bad choice. Like (laughs) if the bad choice is to load your body, the least bad choice is to load your body with coaching. In this way. Okay, exactly. Like, like they should hire a pro like you and say, listen, if you're going to be a bonehead and do this anyway, let's be as least boneheaded about it, right? Let the record totally. show yeah. that I am the least bad choice. You are the least bad choice. <laughs> That's excellent. 
<laughs> kind of taking away from that as far as loading as far as the body weight movement as far as kettlebells you've been around long enough that you've seen a lot of changes within our industry so oh, yeah. i remember when kettlebells were basically like the first time they were brought into the gym it was almost like it was this illegal thing and we had to chain them up and only those of us who'd taken the cert were allowed to touch them because god forbid you get hurt if you so much as touch it which is quite amusing because you can really hurt yourself with many other things well there was the kettlebell police back then right ma'am ma'am you just set that down (laughs) so we've been around through those stages and it's kind of interesting because they've been around a long time but now they're readily accessible. Most clubs have them. I mean, even even rowers, you didn't get those unless you were at a rowing club. Now you can get them a little bit more commonplace, I should say. What are the, some of the key things that you've seen in terms of approaches within the industry changing over the last couple of decades? I think that like the whole functional fitness craze really started in the 90s, and I think Paul Cech was a big part of that. He was the first guy to really emphasize training movement patterns over muscles, right? Like the whole oblique slings, the anterior, like he was, that that stuff's not new. He was teaching that stuff back in the 90s. So that was the first trend. And the whole thing about being stable and training your stabilizers, it went, it went totally like off the reservation. It went crazy. Well, people were like standing on two Swiss balls with a body blade, like, you know, juggling. And it was well-intentioned and went totally crazy. And those of you that were around during that time will totally understand what I'm talking about. It was like everything, like if you're going to do a split squat, you got to do it on two wobble boards and then an Eric's pad underneath that where maybe there was some novel benefit to it. Like it got ridiculous that came down. And then we, we, the, the pendulum swung all the way to like only strength. Right. So we went, you know, to the bigger, faster, stronger, just bench. So, so basically, Regardless of the sport, just hire a football coach, and the football coach would just put you squat, bench, deadlift, and that would make everything better. That's not how it works, though, right? Did it, it'll work for, say, for football players? Absolutely. That's a combat sport. That's a collision sport. You need mass. For other athletes, not as beneficial. Well, and let's, let's also point out, how long are football careers? Not long. Correct. Correct. So by the time right. you're 30, you're not playing football anymore. Right. So what are you going to do with the rest of your time? So I would say that I still think even now there is still a lot of confusion as to, and the context here is we're talking about more like max loading, like heavy strength work, that that is somehow going to unlock this athletic nirvana, like this amazing ability. And I think there are very few athletes that actually need to push the strength envelope. And I still see it today. Um, I think athletes need to become better homo sapiens. Like, right? So my goal now, and I, and I, I, I have been on the strength. I was there I, after college. I got my 100-meter time down. And, I, you know, I was, my goal was to make the trials. I never got there because I got married and had a kid. And said, oh, shit, there we go. However, um, I did chase strength. And made me better at moving furniture, I'd slow down. My 100 meter times just got so much slower. And it's not that strength is bad, strength is great, but it's all about the adaptation that you want. So the trend that I've seen is this confusion between what makes somebody more supple, more athletic. I think we're starting to now see with the, all these body weight systems like Animal Flow, Ground Force Method, uh, Scott Sonnen for a while, you've got there's, there's, ton, there, there's a lot of them out there. But I think those systems are a very good sign 
because they're getting us to master, as, I mean, you guys are total masters at this, but they're getting you to master your body in three dimensions and to become a better, just a better homo sapien. Like, like if you can't move your, if you don't own your body, like really, I, I totally agree with you. Like you probably shouldn't be max deadlifting or squatting. I mean, it's just, you, you will get injured. You will get injured eventually. Yeah, I think there's this general belief or myth out there that strength always solves problems. And you know what? If you're incredibly weak in a place, adding a little bit of strength to that, absolutely, that'll probably solve some problems. Big time. But for the most part, I think what solves a lot more problems for a lot of people is improving stability on joints or for other people, increasing mobility across joints. Like you said, it's just returning the body to the state that it should be in because our patterns now are just so disoriented versus what they used to be. So yeah, strength is great. It's super applicable in strongman. It's super applicable in football. But if you are just a regular person, you just want to feel good, move good, lose weight. If you're carrying a little bit too much weight, pick up your kids, all that, you don't need to be incredibly strong. It's good to have regular strength, but where you need to make sure you're good is with the stability of your joints and the mobility of those joints. Right. And on that same note, I will say though, that if you can, if you can take a client or a person through a developmental process, almost like you, we should be doing in this country, which we're not, cause we don't really do physical education anymore. If you get them doing fundamental patterns, you teach people to roll, you get them doing a keto and falling and just all the stuff that, I mean, I did as a kid. I mean, there was, we had pretty good PE when I was a kid. We learned archery, we learned soccer, we became very good generalists. And I, I, it, it's, it's a very odd thing to get an adult that can't move. They literally can't move. So I think what I do here is I say, okay, you want these bigger type of movements that you think you need, fine. I'm gonna do them, but, but we're going to do them in a way that's not gonna damage you. And we're gonna do them in conjunction with more just learning to move better, just more flowy type movements, just to get them to unlock a bit. So that's kind of the filter that I have now. And it's probably more along line what I see, you know, uh, you guys are doing. I mean, I I, I I don't know exactly, but I'm guessing it's very, very similar. From everything, yeah, from all the conversations that we've had, it's definitely similar in the sense that uh, we're just trying to marry up what people need and what they want and then showing them that there are different ways to accomplish that because we've had some clients recently who are in the baby boomer population. They did something a certain way for a really long period of time, got injured, and now we're showing them that they can accomplish a athletic, uh, to use your term, um, they can accomplish an athletic feel but with a totally new approach. And, you know, even with us, we're always experimenting with new ways of moving. And with that, we're not married to one singular way of moving. We both picked up swimming twice a week, two years ago, and it's been going super well because we found, hey, this offloads our body. So sure, do we feel like, you know, we're not, we're not high level swimmers, never will be, but it's fun. Pretty important it, skill to have. It's a great skill. Yeah, it's a great We'd skill. We've both been out of the pool for a long time, and uh, not to sound super old, but <laughs> it unloads your joints in yeah. such a lovely way and gets you focused on your breath work in a different way. That's awesome. Um, and, and that's you know been our new little experiment recently. But we find that a lot of our clients will come in with an idea or with a history of what they've done, and then we're trying to help them get to whatever function we're not 
this isn't my terminology, but we're not curing them from whatever they have and trying to return them to a state of being because that's what cure would mean. We're trying to improve their outcome. Mm. And rebuilding that athleticism is a really big component of that. So on the topic of loading heavy and sprinting, I want you to touch a little bit more on the primal speed, if you don't mind, because one of the things that we've spoken to some of our clients about in terms of health, because with many of our clients that are recovering from injury or pain, and we're trying to help them get back to, to life, being a better human. And in some cases, when they hit that point where they feel good, some of them will say, I want to run fast. I'm not a runner. I don't understand why. I just feel like running fast. And that is perhaps one of the most freeing feelings in my, and again, I might be biased here because I enjoy that sensation and I do understand when you feel good and you're just like on the top of whatever your game and you've been unleashed, you don't have to be a runner or a sprinter, but there's that desire to move quickly. So with your primal speed certification, who are you predominantly addressing? Yeah, well, I think originally our our goal was to hit the average, like uh, maybe like the weekend warrior that maybe was once an athlete that yeah. wants to regain that. We ended up getting predominantly either runners or sprinters, or we got personal trainers. So I, I never really, I, I never really got the the target audience that I thought I was going to get. And you kind of get who you get, right? It attracted more trainers or a lot of, even like a lot of Krav Maga people that said, you know, fight or flight, like, well, they teach people how to fight, but they don't necessarily teach what they preach the most, which is run. If you can avoid altercations or stress or a fight, you need to know how to get out of there. So predominantly those type of people, but uh, the objective was just to restore the capacity. Like, okay, can you walk well? Good. You walked into the gym, you probably can. Can you jog? Can you run? Can you eventually turn that into just a higher form of locomotion, which is at the top of the food chain as far as the CNS goes, central nervous system, it's sprinting. I mean, we take, for example, uh, Olympic lifting. You look at the guys that do like the snatch. I mean, it's so impressive. They're at best, at best, they're probably moving the bar like two meters per second, right? You look at Usain Bolt, he's moving like 11 meters per second. So it's like, so it's amazing what they do. But like, if you really want to talk about rate of force development and moving your body quickly, even a slow sprinter is going to destroy the speed of an Olympic lifter. Now, that's not to take anything away from Olympic. I would rather have an Olympic lifter help me move than that guy who's slow. However, it is, it's, it's been there all along. Like you have this one mode of movement that has the potential to literally like unlock your brain and open up the floodgates and take the parking brakes off your brain. Cause we live with such inhibition in our body, especially just from, you know, the clients we work with that just sit a lot, probably not wise to just get them sprinting from day one. So the system is basically, it, it is a movement based system for athletes, for everyday people, for coaches. But the goal is to kind of deconstruct and unwind kind of what the best sprint minds in the world uh, think and do. And then the way that we, my brother and I uh, interpreted it and really just try to kind of make it accessible to everybody. But it, it's something that, you know, like I, I, I love sprinting, but even now I'm changing my approach to how I usually do it. Because just to have people go out and sprint, I think is you do get injuries. Yes. Like, you know, they're not warmed up. Of they course. get hamstring pulls. So 
I think starting along the line of building more of the foundational skills, like skipping, marching, doing a lot of those, those, that's not sprinting, but it's like a very low level of power work. And that kind of builds up the tissue tolerance, the tendon tolerance. So over time, if I do have them sprint, um, even at low levels, it, it, it's not like a blast to their body. Because you can't take a tendon and say, hey, you haven't moved this tendon explosively in 50 years, but we're doing a 4 by 100 relay today at the track. Like, no. That, right? that reminds me <laughs> of when I was, what, 20? I think I was 24. And again, at the time, I was just loading heavy in the gym. And that is all I was doing from a physical activity perspective. And because I was strong... I was invited to Canada bobsled preliminary qualifier before the Olympics because I, I knew a guy and he was like, this guy's crazy strong. He's got the right build. Like, let's get him in there. And of course for that, it's you go in and you sprint and you bench. That was, at and the you time. hadn't sprinted. That's all you did. And I had not done a, not a good damn idea. thing. Not a good no. idea. So I, I did. And there was, so there was a sprint from a standstill and a sprint from, you had a, a head start kind of thing. So you got to run and then they only started once you got it to full speed. And I think I did the first one from a standstill. Cool, no big deal. And then the next one, about probably three or four meters from the end line, my hamstring just exploded. Oh, my God. Yeah, it just went down like I got shot with a sniper. It was one of those. It, would, it, was, the, it was like before we all had cell phones, so like nobody had this on camera. Oh but it would have been glorious. And I'm down. And then I was just like sitting there inside this like dome and this track, and I've got this bag of ice on my hamstring with all these other turbo athletes around me. And I'm like... Yeah, I shouldn't have been here to yeah. begin with. This was this was a poor choice. Yeah. So that's just a this little. This was a lesson. bad idea. This <laughs> was a milk very, was a bad, very choice. bad idea. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that was not a super proud moment, but it was a. We've all been there. It was We've a lesson. I've been there, and I'm a sprinter. I've been there. Oh, well, yeah. that's where our ego kind of gets in the way, where our mind is like, "Yeah, you can do this. Go for it." And our tissues are. What? What are you doing, buddy? We've not done that in forever. Um, so w what we'll do is we'll link in to the show notes some of the info on your Primal Speed stuff. Yeah, that's great. And I want to switch gears because you've been an entrepreneur for a long time. You've owned your own studio. You're an educator. You've written books. What are some of the biggest challenges you meet as an entrepreneur? All of it? No. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, well, first of all, I, I think entrepreneurship is amazing. I, I, I'm a firm believer in it. I think there's too many big companies out there. And uh, I actually listened to a podcast uh, a couple weeks ago, a Tim Ferriss podcast with a guy, I think his name is Tobias. Uh, he's the guy who started Shopify. He's Tobias Funke. Or something like that. <laughs> something That's an like Arrested that. Development joke. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> anyway, uh, I'm butchering his name here, but he basically says that entrepreneurship is on the decline in North America, which is kind of a bummer because when you open up a business, you employ other people, you get logos, you get t-shirts, you get, you know, websites. So I'm a huge believer in entrepreneurship. I have not, I'm not going to say that I've been like super gifted at it. My brain is like a Ferrari, but it has like Ford Pinto brakes. So when you, when you have a mind like mine, some people call it ADHD. Yeah, that speaks to me. Right. <laughs> when you have a mind like mine, it's, uh, and you're trying to run a business and pay bills and realize, you know, you got to pay a train or what, like, you have to be really organized. So for me, I've, I've had to really kind of use technology or people to help me with the stuff that I can't do. So I think the biggest mistakes that I've made is 
not outsourcing quick enough and really trying to do everything myself. Like, I can't do my taxes. Are you kidding? Like, really? Like, no. So that was a failed experiment for a couple of years, and that, you know, that didn't work. So I think as an entrepreneur, you wear many hats. And for me, and this, this is just my experience, trying to go really big was not what I thought it was. And, you know, expanding my business, getting more coaches, blowing up my classes, you know, having a bigger calendar. I didn't, ha- I, I hated it because it, it had me managing more and it had me doing much less of what I like to do, which is create, which is to get down on the ground with clients, which is the, which is really just, I love to talk with clients. I, I like the conversations that I have with my clients. That's why I got it. I love it. And then I like seeing the progress they make. I mean, I have a 75 year old client who, what did he get? 19 chin-ups, 75. I can't even do that. I, I don't think I, I can do well, I don't think he, he can do that now, but he can bust out 14, 15. So seeing stuff like that, like if, if, if I'm not on the floor, I can't do that. I can't coach. I can't watch people. So for me, entrepreneurship's been challenging in the sense that I've really, I've really had to come full circle and say, okay, I want to go big. I want to see what that's like. I hate that. I want to go, I want to be small. I want to manage what I can manage. So I call it staying in your lane. Like there's nothing wrong with admitting that a certain skill set you either don't have or more, or more importantly, I just freaking hate it. Like I don't want to do certain things. So for me, it's about doing the things that I think I'm good at. Like I think every entrepreneur has like a superpower. They have like a super, like you stick with that. Like do what you're gifted at and like the other stuff, just get some help with it or, you know, get a cleaner to, you know, do whatever they need to do. Like don't, don't do it. It's just, you know, life's way too short, but entrepreneurship's amazing. It's tough though. Yeah. And, and we've asked this question to a few other people on our podcast and we've heard that before the, you know, I wish I'd outsource sooner. Uh, and that's, I think a really, really big one. Cause at the time it's always, ah, I can save a few bucks if I, if I do this myself, but you don't really consider the other option of, well, what if I don't do this right the first time? And then guess what? That bill just got more expensive because of all the time you're putting into it. And it's just, outsourcing again Fran and I with move daily I, I kind of have the same brain as you and so then I brought in her with the organizational skills yeah she, she's, she's like she's got a very yeah. organized brain right yeah she may or may not drive the bus on everything you know what dude <laughs> let her let her drive the bus hey, dude I am yeah. so good you'll be way more successful I'm, you'll be way more successful as I say life will get better I'm an idea do what man. you do I'm an ideas man she's about execution <laughs> <laughs> I have no problem with that. I embrace the organizational side because to your point, I love it. I love working with clients, seeing their progress, and I love being organized. It's like peace to my brain. Whereas he thrives on chaos. He also loves seeing people's progress. So he's organized when it comes to helping clients. But then the other side of it is just, yeah, he'd rather have some chaos. So that's where... (laughs) <laughs> where I step in. Yeah, well, I, yeah, I think we're talking the same language. Yeah. It's just people are different. Opposites attract. Yeah. Right? Like Always. Yeah. Well, here's another thing. It, when you talk about going big, that's it's so interesting because when we talk to entrepreneurs, depending on w- how long they've been in the industry, and I, I'm speaking to our industry specifically because that's where we have more of our conversations with entrepreneurs, we find some are very caught up in going really big in Instagram yeah and going big and but then we see the stress that creates because it becomes this perpetual grind 
that's no longer associated completely with their skill set and more so associated with trying to produce newer, fancier stuff. So when it comes to owning a space and building a bigger space and taking over a management role, did you find that you were stuck a little bit more in the grind of things with less time to yourself, less time to your own health care when you went a little beyond the role that you were happiest in? Yeah. Well, I mean, I was, I was spending more time at a desk and I'm a very, like, I can't, I, I'm a very fidgety person. That would person. make me go crazy. I can't, I need to move a lot. So no, yeah, it, it, it was, it was not a good it was not a good thing for me. Like, all right, well, I'll, I'll, I'll have, I'll hire other coaches to teach the classes. And I'll, no, I'll cancel five of them and I'll teach one of them, right? So I don't have to manage them or find another trainer. Yeah, I think it just goes back to knowing, knowing what your skill set is. And, um, it, you know, it, it's, it's a lot of things have to come together to build a company. And I think some, um, some people are very good rule followers and you give them a set of instructions and they can just do it really well. I'm not a rule follower. I'm a rule breaker. I've always been a rule breaker. I've been a horrible employee. I, I cannot work for somebody else because I will intentionally do what I want to do. I will get in trouble, and then I'll have to ask for apologies, you know, blah, 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 and then I'll, I'll, do, I'll do it again. In my 20s, I figured out, you know what, I can't, I, can't, I can't do it. So I think there's certain people that are good at following rules, and you can build a big company with people like that. And knowing that I just didn't really want to work with partners or – go even bigger and kind of give up some of my individuality autonomy autonomy yeah so i i get it just i think the message here is self-awareness like know who you are absolutely like like you save yourself a bunch of bull crap in life if you just you just be honest with yourself just know who you are and leave it at that you know stay in your lane and with that what sort of inspires you and drives you I think what inspires me is learning and then experimenting and creating and then doing that cycle all over again and sharing. And yeah. sharing, yeah. So, so yeah. It, I am happiest when I am studying something that I'm genuinely excited about and then I can experiment with it and then kind of try it out and keep the nuggets that are, I think, going to be good for clients and good for me. So I, I, I think that's what really drives me. I, I think the older I get, the more I like to create. The more I like to just, you know, kind of get an open canvas and say, okay, like, you know, I want to come up with a program or like I want to, I, 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 I want to take common problems that people are having and I want to just kind of think differently about it. And that, I think that, you know, it's just finding solutions to a lot of the physical challenges that either I'm having or my clients are having. Like, like that. that it's fun. Yeah, it's super it's fun. It's like a puzzle. It's super yeah. fun. Yeah. So I think that's what really kind of like drives me. We get that. Yeah. It's like yeah. movement, movement solutions and yeah. Movement solutions. And you know, just all the, just all the advancements, you know, you just got so many cool tools out there and just studying about like neuroplasticity and just how quick the brain is. And you know, it, it, like we're living in a pretty cool time right now. We are. Like, there is this like this, ex- this like renaissance right now of like-minded people. And like, I don't, the Greeks used to think genius, like nobody's a genius. Okay. Nobody's a genius. Genius is like a spirit that just floats around and you just tap into it. What I have found lately is I've been getting into the, like these flow states in my exercise where I'll just get a tool and I'll just play around with it and like stuff will come to me 
And I don't really think it's me. I think it's this, like, again, without getting all weird, I think it's this genius spirit. Like, everybody can tap into it. You can tap into it. you just got to be present. You've got to be aware. And, uh, like, when you get in, into that kind of frame of mind, it's just, it's like addicting. Like well, you just want to go back there again. Like, shit, I, I, that was amazing, whatever just happened. I want to do it again. And that takes the ego out of it. I've read about that with regards to artists and authors. Yeah. Uh, almost that, that, that sensation where they, they can't possibly take credit because they're just the conduit Correct. for whatever it was that needed to, to be delivered. And we, we have a number of colleagues who always say, uh, well, this is going to sound really woo-woo, but... <laughs> and they go into something yeah. similar to that because it's just those things that we can't really explain. But a lot of that comes back to intuition built over experience. Yes. You start to recognize patterns in something that you're seeing with clients or a problem and you can't necessarily always explain the rationale yet but you know that that's just kind of something you got to play with that's kind of art though isn't it yes yeah it's like it's it's the way you put the ingredients together like we all have the same ingredients Mm -hmm. kettlebells this whatever stretching mobility exercises yeah and people come in with their individual issues but it, it's 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 how you put it together and it's the you know it's like it, it's the final product that you can come up with and uh, apart from that I mean I, I think because it's just a journey for us all anyway I mean all this is a journey it's it's the experience that we have as coaches but more importantly that the that the clients have and that's kind of been like my overarching goal is like I, I want that hour to be one of the best hours of the day it's all about them like, it's just all about, the, you know, just a new PR or, you know, just, you know, maybe they're just moving their arm better than they did the other day. Like, hey, from here to here, but like, let's actually move it really well. Like, just yeah. <laughs> move it well. Yeah, this industry would be a lot better if every trainer had that mindset. Correct. <laughs> it's just like, this is your hour. Let's make this hour all about you and make it as you feel as good as possible and make you leave here feeling like a million bucks. You know, if that's what it was all about, man, would people well, would be so much more inclined to like dive right headfirst in the fitness industry. Agreed. <laughs> Agreed. Yeah. And and so you know what? We always ask people who come on the podcast yeah. a few follow-up questions at sure. the end of the Okay? So what is the most impactful book you've read over the past year? Most impactful book? I would say it's actually it's a book that I've reread several times and I'm gonna give you two. We like that. Yeah. It's it's a book I, 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 I reread about every two years is Stephen Covey's uh, Seven Habits book. I just love that book. It's, it's like every time I read it, I get something out of it. And it's just, it, it's just like a true North Compass to me. Like, just boom. It's just, it just makes sense to me. Like, listen, like you have to work on your internal character first. Make those hard decisions that nobody can see. And then the public stuff, like the public victory stuff, like... Maybe I'm just too dumb and too knuckleheaded, but like I have to revisit that stuff. I just I just have to revisit it because I just for like somehow it just like goes in the back of my brain. I'm like, oh darn it! Like something isn't working in my life. Ah. We both have now books that are just we call them. It's like a recalibration book. Yes. Yeah. So definitely appreciate that. We all uh, we have some different ones, but still, we all have those books where it's like, oh yeah, I forgot about that, but. Nope, that got me back on my feet a little bit, recalibrating, and in your case with the Ferrari engine, might slow you down right, just a touch. Right, right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then have yeah, you go on, brain, again. Brain. Yeah, here I we go. I don't have enough GABA in my brain. I don't, I don't. <laughs> so what's your second recommendation? Uh, my second book? Yeah. 
uh, would be, I, you know what, I, I really like the book. I don't know the author. It's a small little ebook you can get uh, on Amazon. It's called A Thousand True Fans. And it's more of an entre- entrepreneurial nice. book. I yeah, highly cool. recommend it. It is so motivating. And just, hey. so just to basically have a business, you, you really don't need, and we were talking about this, you don't need that many people. I mean, how many people can you guys personally influence, like personally? Not that many. You guys have your own tribe. I have my own tribe. You have your own little tribe. And people that do not do what we do need help. They, they, they need to tap into that tribe. So basically kind of gives you his whole protocol on how to do that. It gives you some social media stuff, but it is so good for entrepreneurs. So any entrepreneur or trainer or person that works for themselves that's listening to this, I mean, I would say just buy it. It's like five bucks or something. It's nothing. A thousand true fans. If you have a thousand true fans, you will have, they will buy every product you ever come out with. They will buy everything you do. You want to find those fans. Like if you have, let's say, 20 clients, I guarantee you five of them would like lick your shoe. I mean, they, they, you want those true, true fans. Like every time I read that book, I'm just like, okay. Like it's not, you don't need eight gazillion Instagram followers, right? Or eight billion. You just don't need Clients, it. yeah. You don't need it. Yeah. You don't need it. Thank you for those. We're going to have to check both those out because we haven't heard, uh, sorry, we've heard of them, but we haven't read either of them. And uh, within the context of being an entrepreneur, being a father, being a husband, being active, what is your non-negotiable self-care tool that you must maintain every day? I would say getting into nature is my, as I've gotten older, that's just like my mental health. I just, I just get into flow states out there and um, I'm just, I'm very present when I'm there. Like, like I'm looking at rocks and everywhere I go, like you have to be very aware, especially when you're on kind of a hard hike. So for somebody like me, who's probably very ADHD, it really keeps me in the present and it, it just, it, 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 it's, that's like a non-negotiable for me. So I, I would say that and then my little morning routine I have, I've just, I, I wake up, I drink a huge glass of water and then I get down and I do some ground-based stuff. So like that for me, if I don't do that, I can, I can almost guarantee you that my day's not, it's just not going to go as well. I have to do water and I have to do my ground-based stuff, even for like six minutes, like five or six minutes. We love the nature one. First of all, we've heard this from several of our, our people, what do we call them? People who've come on our podcast. Yes. Guests. Yes. <laughs> Aliens. Me, me, me not have words no Martians. more. <laughs> yeah, so the guests that have come on our Non-Canadians. Yeah. I am non-Canadian, a non-Canadian, guys. There you go. Nature's a big one, but the morning ritual, yeah. such a huge thing to just, a lot of people now will roll out of bed, their alarm will go off, and it's immediately on Instagram, immediately on social media, or immediately to the news, just right away into something where you're just laying there and your brain's just starting to just be trapped. I've done that too, and it's 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 like a nightmare. It is a nightmare. It's not it, healthy for you. It's not, and it snowballs into the rest of your day, and so that is a huge message that we try and relay to a lot of our clients. It's when that alarm goes off, you get on your feet, you get out of bed, <laughs> and you go move your body or go have the glass of water or go brush your teeth but do something that gets you a, a or journal or something get journal yeah, yeah, do something yeah. that gets you out of bed so you don't just hit the snooze button a and it gets you going and gets your body moving and into doing something for the day such a huge huge positive thing you can do for your body 
is just that sounds like you do that too a two exactly a two minute morning routine it's just so critical to do something first thing more the first thing in the morning i actually i just i roll over and i start doing a few movements in bed yeah and then i get out of bed and continue to again i'll go make do my floor ones or go to the get a you know glass of water or whatever but it's you have to have that plan it just it will change the entire outcome of your day so that's thank you for saying that. That's cool. amazing. Awesome. Um, and on to that, and maybe this is what you'll say: if you had five minutes with someone, what is one thing you could instill to them for their health? I only get one. <laughs> one thing. Five minutes. One thing. Five minutes with a person. What would you talk to them about for their health and well-being? Just take the simplest step you can do. Just take one step. The one thing I would say is, if there's a hundred steps, right? Just just do that first step. So whether that's drinking water or whether it's just taking the stairs, whatever their step one is, don't worry about step 11 or step 15 or step 18. I would say it literally is so easy to get into an upward spiral. Like the body is not static. Your life's not static. Your mind's not static. You're either going down or you're going up. And it's so, uh, I think it's so empowering to know, God, if I just do one thing, then I, I literally can stack that on top of the next thing, on top of the next thing. So you really can't worry. That's what I would say. Don't worry about step 11 or step 76. Just do one. Just do that first step, and everybody has that first step. We couldn't agree more with you is start small. Yeah. And yeah. do it frequently. That's it. Start small yeah. and repeat. Yeah. Where can people find you online? What's the best resource that you'd like us to send people to? Uh, my website FS Athletics, as in Franz Snydman Athletics.com. And then I'm probably most active on Facebook under Franz Snydman. And then Instagram as well. I just post my exercise stuff on Instagram. And that's it. Yeah. That's simple. good. That's excellent. Yeah. I, I see you have a lot of like good sprinting drills or some core drills on there and mm-hmm. always coming up with some new things. Thank so you. we'll link that in. Can't thank you enough for, for having, a, me, having us at yeah. your gym again it's awesome to see your new facility but then just for the conversation and for imparting your advice because 23 years in the industry and a lot of new things along the way a lot of old things revisited brings about a lot of experience and we appreciate your two cents on many of those little topics thanks guys thanks for having me and that's going to be it for this episode of the move Delhi health podcast see you next time We hope you enjoyed our conversation. To hear more, head on over to Stitcher or iTunes and subscribe to the Move Daily Health Podcast. And don't hesitate to leave us a review. Thanks for listening.